good morning, Hardy Street Baptist Church. That was a little weak. Let's try it again. Good morning, Hardy Street Baptist Church. Y'all ought to get up a big hallelujah after that song right there. Still weak. Come on. I know we're social distancing, but y'all got to give some more than that. That deserves a five-second praise break. Let's just give God the glory in the house. He saved me. He raised me. I don't know if I've heard that song before, but man, that's going to be on my, my uh, iTunes playlist from here on out because that's a good one. Um, it is an honor to be with you guys here at Hardy Street Baptist, and I'm excited. I'm from Atlanta, uh, but I am a Southern boy. Uh, I was born in Birmingham and, and uh, Roll Tide, and uh, it, it's, it's, it's good to be here deep south, and uh, I'm, I'm one of you. So I want to tell you a couple things. Uh, as Scott said, uh, I do get the privilege of leading a ministry called the College of Prayer International. We're working with uh, church leaders all over the world, and it is an honor to do that. We help mentor, train, and equip Christian pastors and leaders just like you reach a lost world through a revived church. And I got to tell you something right from the beginning. Uh, if you want to see the streets of Hattiesburg changed, if you want to see the culture of Southern Miss changed, it all begins in one stance, and this is the stance right here. This is the place we begin. This is the first work of God, prayer. Prayer. Nothing else happens except through prayer. And when God begins to move, I want you to hear this, when God begins to move on the earth, he always wakes his church up to prayer. If you study revival history, you can literally chart it like this. Every great move of God is preceded by a great move of prayer. More prayer, more presence, more power, more evangelism. And if you study revivals, you'll see this, this curve like this where, where when the church begins to pray, revival comes. And when the church stops praying, revival diminishes. And all throughout history, the great revivals, you can see this. And I want to tell you something today. God is waking up his church all over the world. And he is reawakening the church to being a house of prayer. Uh, don't turn off CNN, turn off Fox News. You, you don't need that. All it's doing is bringing us down and down and down. What you need to do is open the word of God and, and get in some news sources that are telling you what God is doing around the world. I'm here to tell you, I get the privilege of seeing the church globally from a 30,000 foot view and God is moving today, right now. People all over the world are coming to Christ in throngs. Because the church is praying like they've never prayed before. The church is praying like their lives depend on it. And my friends, how many of you want to see the last people on earth reached? Anyone in here? I want to tell you something. The last people on earth will not be reached through a lukewarm church. The last people on earth will be reached through a revived church. And a revived church is a praying church. There is no other way. This is why Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer. 
He didn't say it might be. He didn't say should be. He didn't say my house will be a house of preaching. He didn't say my house will be a house of good worship music. He didn't say my house will be a house of small groups. All of those things are good. They're all part of building a healthy church. But he said, my house will be a house of prayer. It is the foundation of the church. And it's the foundation of every healthy home. And that's why it's such an honor to be here as you guys kick off this uh, multi-month spiritual formation process, houses of prayer everywhere. And I am so thankful I get to be uh, help, help Scott kick this off. And I got to tell you, I, I travel all over. I've met pastors and church leaders all over the world, thousands and thousands and thousands of church leaders. And I just want you to hear something. You've got a good pastor. You've got a good, yeah, that's right. Yeah, just come on, a little more. For the pastor and the first lady here, we, we've got to give honor where honor is due. I meet a lot of pastors, and, 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 and to see Scott's heart for you and to see his heart for the city of Hattiesburg, his desire and earnestness and zeal for seeing this church become a house of prayer is inspiring and it's incredibly motivating. And I got to tell you, that's not, that's not common unfortunately. And so you've got a good pastor, and I just wanted to recognize that uh, this morning. So treat your, your pastor and the first lady with, with honor and with respect. Take care of them as they seek to take care of you spiritually. And so today, as we kick off this whole hope initiative, Houses of Prayer Everywhere, this is a mission as part of our movement in the College of Prayer. We have a huge, huge desire to see families, Christian families all over the world, every Christian family on earth, become a house of prayer. You see, God doesn't want to just build a house of prayer here at Hardy Street Baptist Church. He wants to build a house of prayer in the Mitchell household, in your household, in your household, in your household. So I'm going to bring a word to us today. And I know we come from all different stages of life right now. Some of us are married. Some of us aren't. Some of us are divorced. Some of us are parents. Some of us aren't. Some of us are empty nesters. And But I, the word I'm bringing you today is for every one of us. Okay, so what I'm asking you to do is just to open your ear and pay attention for the nudges, for the words God wants to speak to you and your stage of life, no matter where it's at right now, for you in these moments. Because all of us in this room, the one common denominator is we're all part of a family. Now, you may not like your family, you may be distanced from your family. You may not even know a lot of your family. And some of you have thriving families, and that's great. But, but the one common denominator is we are all part of a family. And so I want to talk to us today about opening the door to Christ at home. Opening the door to Christ at home. Now, Jesus said, you can see it on the screen there in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens that door, I will come in and eat with him and he will eat with me. Now, I love this. I love, this is, this is seriously one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. It's actually a revival scripture. Because there's a couple of promises. There's a huge promise here. And, and I like hungry Jesus. I was, I was meeting with the leaders last night of Hardy Street, and I told them I like angry Jesus when he goes and clears the temple. I like it when Jesus gets angry, but I also like Jesus when he's hungry. And, and he talks about food a lot in the New Testament, and I, I'm kind of a foodie. 
So I really like when Jesus is, is referencing food. And here's hungry Jesus. He's hungry to get into your house. He's hungry to, to come to the table of your household. He's hungry to have fellowship with you. And if you think of our society, most of our fellowship revolves around food, right? And so here's Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens that door, I will come in and eat with him. And he will eat with me. You see, you got to hear. There's two parts of this that are on us. You got to hear, you got to be listening, and you got to open. You got to hear and you got to open. So I want to talk to us this morning about opening the door to Christ at home. And, and, and this verse encompasses that because one of, one of the most neglected parts of a healthy prayer life is in our homes, if we're honest. Can, can we be honest today? I like to keep things real. I like to keep things to the point because the reality is seminars and conferences, all of these things we usually go to, they usually only make minor changes in our homes. But I want to tell you something today, and when you open the door to Christ, when you encounter Christ in your home, he not only makes changes, he changes the future of our families. They're not minor changes. They're big changes. In 2007, I was uh, we had been living in Birmingham at the time. I had traveled to Atlanta where we now live, and I was there for a, a prayer conference, a prayer gathering, a three-day prayer gathering, and it was all on uh, basically inviting God into our homes, and, and God just upended me over those three days. I mean, you talk about being turned upside down. I was literally turned upside down. I, I got in my car. My wife wasn't able to come with me. Uh, we had been married for three years at the time. It didn't have children at the time, thank God. And, and I, I got in my car, my little red Saturn, and, and I drove as fast as I could back to Birmingham. And I got home, and my wife was there, and I grabbed her, and I pulled her into the bedroom, and we sat down on the bed, and I, and I just began to weep and weep and weep. And I repented. And I said, I need you to forgive me because I haven't led us to be a house of prayer. She began to weep and, and she forgave me and, and, and we began to pray together and we prayed together more in that first week than we had in the first three years of our marriage. By the grace of God, by the grace of God, we've prayed together virtually every day since then. We've built a culture of prayer in our homes where our, our, our girls, my little girl Audrey's here with me. I've got 11, 7, and 3-year-old girls. God help me. Please pray for me. But we're building a culture, a house of prayer. It's not easy. It's not easy. It takes intentionality. It, it takes desire. It takes hunger. That we're not going to be like everybody else. We're going to live now so that in a way that we want our children to grow into and that their future, their generations, their families will be different. And so we're trying to create this house of prayer where God can work and move because Jesus wants all of us to welcome him into our daily family life. All of us. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. Whether you're married, not, or now, doesn't matter. 
I had a woman call me. I had led a, a, a two-day online uh, webinar live stream um, on Lord Teach Us to Pray. It was about a month ago. And this, this woman wrote me afterwards, and, and she said, thank you so much for some of the teachings that you brought. I, then after this was all over, I, I went to my mom's house. I drove to my mom's house, and, and I just asked her forgiveness, and, and we talked. We had the first conversation, the real conversation we've had in 16 years. It's just a daughter who God moved his spirit on her life and gave her a vision for what things could be like your family. So it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. And so Jesus wants all of us to welcome him into our, our daily life. And, and he, he wants us to hear his voice and to open the door. And I wonder what it would look like if Jesus walked through the front doors of our homes right now. And what would he see? And what would he hear? What would it be like for him to be in your home what difference would he make in the lives of you and your, your family? And today we want to open the front door of our homes to welcome Christ as an active member of our family. You see, he wants to be more than an unseen guest. He wants to be our family redeemer. He wants to be our family healer. He wants to break generational strongholds and curses. He wants to change the destiny of our families. But it only happens when we intentionally open the door. My friends, breakthrough does not happen by accident. And so Jesus is calling us to build this house of prayer as we open the door. He wants us to learn to utilize the power of blessing so that all families can feel, fulfill their God-given destiny and purpose. And we live in a day when the family is under attack. I mean, there is a full-out assault on the family today. A full-out assault. And God's first institution was the institution of marriage. As he brought Adam and Eve together, this is the first institution he established on earth. So you better believe Satan hates it. And it's doing everything he can to destroy it. It's not a Democratic Party issue. It's not a Republican Party issue. It's not about politics. It's not about media. It is about Satan trying to destroy your family. A full-on assault. And it is time to wake up to the understanding that there is a very real spiritual warfare that is taking place and your family is in the middle of it. So the longer you keep that door closed to Jesus, the harder it's going to be. God loves families. He loves to bless families. You realize that from Genesis to Revelation, God is one big God of blessing. He's one big blessing waiting to happen. All throughout the scripture, God is blessing families. He blesses Abraham's family so much so that those who bless Abraham's family are blessed. Those who curse his family are cursed. And he wants to bless your family. And so I want to talk to us today about opening the door to that kind of blessing and opening the door to, to building this house of prayer and having an encounter with God. But the, the reality is, and tragically, one of the last places we actually encounter the presence of God is in our homes. 
we come to church on Sundays and, and, and we ha- hear the great music and we hear a good word and we might even come Wednesdays if we're really spiritual and, 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 and it's good. What's happening behind closed doors? Uh-oh. What's translating into your everyday environment? What's translating? What's happening? What kind of spiritual formation is taking place in your own marriage, in your own home, and with your children? See, so often we don't encounter God within our home, and few spouses, they don't enjoy the benefits of praying together. So many spouses spend more time fighting and competing with each other than they actually do praying. I know I'm not the only one. Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy, Uh uh-uh. I know, because I've been married longer than a week. (laughs) I've been married longer than the honeymoon, and I know it gets hard. I know it's difficult. I know there's seasons that are rough. I get it. But it's time for us to stop spending more time fighting than we do praying. And it's time for us to begin to uh, invite an environment where there is a holy habitation that occurs. Scripture makes it clear that our spouses can be our greatest prayer partner. I've met so many pastors and church leaders around the world who've literally told me they have never prayed with their spouse. Seems crazy, doesn't it? But it's way more common for that to be said than for a pastor or church leader to say, We pray every day together. Spouses have got to begin to understand that we're not the only two in the relationship. You see, when we're fighting with our spouse or or when there's a disagreement or something happening, we've got to begin to open our eyes, as Jesus said, watch and pray. We've got to begin to watch and understand that there's more than just two people in a room. The enemy is out to assault your marriage. You don't think he likes it when, or you think he, he, he's okay when, when y'all start arguing? Oh, he loves it. And he's just trying to, what, remember when they did this? Remember when she said this? Remember when he did this? Could have been 20 years ago and he's bringing it back and bringing it back and bringing it back. So we got to open the door to Christ at home because there are huge rewards promised for those who will open the door to Christ. And the only way we can truly open the door to Christ in our homes is through prayer. Because listen, and I'd write this down because you, you want to remember this. Prayer is not a religious obligation. Prayer is a relational invitation. It is a relational invitation into the presence of God Almighty. It's a relational invitation into intimacy with each other. I know that when I pray with my spouse, I got to keep short accounts, right? Because it's hard to pray with someone you're mad at. Anybody tried that? I'm, I know I'm not the only one. It's hard to pray with someone you're mad at. So, so you start learning to keep shorter accounts with each other. Because you know, hey, we got to pray together, so we better get over this. We better, we better talk through this. We better work through this. And so you're, you're starting to build this culture of honor and this culture of respect and love because there's a culture of prayer. And God is calling us to this relational invitation and to prayer in our homes because he says, if anyone hears my 
voice. How do you hear the voice of God? It's through prayer. Prayer is way more about hearing God than talking to God. You may not understand that now, and some of you are just beginning your lifestyle of prayer, but I got to tell you, I've been on this journey for a few years now, and I spend way more time listening to God today than I do speaking to God, because he's got a lot to say. He's got a lot to say about the way I treat my wife. He's got a lot to say about the way I treat my children and the way I parent. He's got a lot to say about his desire for the future of my family. So he's calling us to open the door and to build this house of prayer. And now, more than ever, our children, our children need to learn how to pray. They need to learn how to pray because the reality is you're never going to be a perfect parent. Can I get an amen in the room? Is there one, is there one amen in the house of God? You're never going to be a perfect parent, but you can be a praying parent. You can be a praying parent. And prayer starts in the home, and our example of families of us praying together will either prepare or deprive our children of the power of prayer. The environment we create in our homes, the cultures we create in our home will either prepare or deprive our children of the power of prayer. And they will run to the biggest power source. Are we showing them a a powerful God? Or are we just showing them God on Sunday? Are we showing them God on Monday morning and and, and helping them be aware and understand that you can pray for your classmates and and God will answer. You can pray for uh, your your friends to come to Christ and God will answer. That, that, That friend in your class who's sick, we can pray for them and see God heal. Are we creating that kind of environment in our homes where we're, we're, Preparing our children to see the power of God at work. There's incredible power in even couples praying together. In fact, in 2001, there was a study by the Southern Baptist. They did this incredible study, and they began to question and do surveys among married couples, Christian married couples. And you know what they found? They found that of the Christian couples and families who strategically prayed together, the divorce rates dropped from 50% to less than 1%. Oh, you want a surefire way to secure your marriage? Pray. 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 So what's stopping us from praying together? What's hindering us from creating this house of prayer? I want to give us four common barriers to prayer in our homes this morning. Now, there's many. There's many. But I want to give us four of the biggies, and I'm going to move through this pretty quick. But I want you to follow along with me because there are four common barriers to prayer in our homes that we want to begin to dismantle today. Can we do that together? Can we begin to dismantle some of these four barriers so that we can allow God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to begin a culture of prayer in our homes? The first common barrier to prayer in our homes is unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. You see, repentance for sin is one of God's most important requirements. And regular repentance is part of every healthy prayer life. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 30 years or for 30 days. Repentance should still be part of your prayer life. I find myself repenting more today than ever in my life. 
Things that God just wants to, hey, it's time. It's time to give that to me. The way you spoke today, it's got to go. And a million other things that I want to get out of, my, out of my life. And so repentance is part of any healthy prayer life. David said in Psalm 24, 3, who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Who will stand in the most high place? Those with clean hands and a pure heart who haven't lifted up their soul to another. You see what David was saying, who will get in God's presence? Who will come into the presence of God? Those with clean hands and a pure heart who haven't lifted up their soul to another. And repentance, friends, I want you to understand this. Repentance isn't shaming. Repentance is cleansing. Repentance is washing our hands, our soul, mind, will, and emotions clean as we come before God's throne of intercession. This is why Hebrews says, without holiness, no one will see God. Without holiness, no one will see God. Friends, I want to give you a little bit of a revelation today. This may rock some of you, but God is not concerned with your happiness. God is not out here to make you happy. Happy little Christians. God's not concerned with your happiness. He's concerned with your holiness. And he wants you to create an environment where a holy God is welcomed to a holy people. A holy habitation. See, God comes to a prepared environment. And that scripture, to be honest with you, in Hebrews, it scares me. It puts the fear of God in me, to be honest. Without holiness, no one will, will see God. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about a life that is yielded and on pursuit of a holy God. A life that will allow God to put his finger on things and say, it's time to give that to me. It's time to give that to me. It's time to change the way you parent. It's time to change the way you treat your spouse. It's time to, to change your attitude towards your parent and a million other things as we pursue holiness. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other. We often overlook that part. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. You see, what this shows me is unconfessed and unrepented of sin can block both healing and prayer. Uh-oh. And so we're told to confess our sins to each other so that we can be healed. One of the best people I have in my life to confess my sin to is my wife. Hold on now, Pastor. You see, we, we have this incredible relationship that God wants with our spouses of intimacy and depth. Where we can confess to each other, where we can confide in one another, where we can agree and pray together. Bless one another. 
And so James tells us to confess our sins one to another. And then he says, I love this. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power, produces great results. You see, what I want you to understand here is a righteous person is not a perfect person. He is a persistent person. He is persistent for the things of God. She is persistent towards holiness. She is persistent that when she falls down, she's going to get right back up. A righteous man falls seven times but gets back up. You see, a righteous person doesn't stay down. They get up. It's not a perfect person. It's a persistent person. So confession of sin cleanses us and releases us from Satan's grip and his accusations against us. It produces righteousness and it leads to a healthy and productive prayer life in our homes. The second common barrier to prayer in our homes is unforgiveness, unforgiveness and bitterness. Now, if I'm going to be honest with you, this is the number one issue I see today as I pray and minister to people all over. It doesn't matter if it's in the U.S. or India or, or, or Nepal or, or, or Brazil or wherever. One of the number one issues that is hanging up Christians all over the world is unforgiveness and bitterness. We've all been offended, right? If you're breathing, you've, you've been offended. We all have reason to hold unforgiveness towards someone. We all have reason to be bitter towards someone. If you live in a family unit, you understand this, you know this, and the family is one of the most difficult places to extend forgiveness to each other because it's, it's where we're wounded the, the deepest in the family relationship. And so, so unforgiveness and bitterness is a huge barrier to prayer in the home. Why? Because what happens? We begin to withdraw. Somebody offends you, a spouse offends you, a parent offends you, a child offends you, a brother or sister offends you, and our immediate reaction most of the time is to withdraw. And nothing affects or silences prayer in the home more than withdrawing from each other. This is Satan's tactic to silence prayer in the home. It's for us to live offended with one another. This is why Paul says, let no bitter root grow up. It's time to start pulling weeds, friends. You see, we allow those roots of bitterness to grow, and, and we allow them to fester in the garden of our life. And what happens, if you're a gardener, you know when weeds come up, they begin to choke out the life of the plants around them. They begin to take nutrients from the soil, robbing the plant of health. And it's no different with bitterness and unforgiveness. It begins to choke out the life in us. It begins to silence prayer in our homes. You see, being offended or an offense is an event. We're all offended at some point. We've all suffered an offense at some point. So an offense is an event. But friends, I want you to hear something. Being offended is a choice. Living offended is a choice you and I make every day. You have a choice not 
to live offended. Yes, you may have suffered an offense. Whether you stay there, whether you allow it to rule and reign over your life is your choice. This is why Paul said, Jesus said in Matthew 5, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice. You see what Jesus is saying is don't come to the house of God until you've dealt with your junk. You want to build a house of prayer, begin to deal with your junk. Begin to deal with the offenses in the home. Paul said in Ephesians 4, 32, instead be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. See what Paul is saying here? <laughs> Write this down. What Paul is saying is learn to be a forgiven forgiver. You were forgiven, so what right, Paul is saying, what right do you have to hold it against someone else? Be a forgiven forgiver. You want to get rid of these barriers, you've got to acknowledge any unforgiveness and bitterness. Our homes can be filled with unforgiveness and bitterness, or they can be filled with an atmosphere of love and grace and mercy, an atmosphere of peace where we keep short accounts instead of keeping score. The third common barrier to prayer that we often experience as we're trying to build a house of prayer is passivity. Passivity. Passivity is inactivity. Spiritual passivity is spiritual laziness. It's spiritual laziness. It's having no plan or purpose for spiritual growth. And when we're spiritually passive, you cannot operate in spiritual authority. I'm going to say that again because some of us need to wake up to this truth. You cannot have spiritual authority that this word talks about that is available to every believer. It doesn't matter what degree you have on your wall or what title you have before your name, reverend, bishop, whatever, missionary, doesn't matter. Authority is available to all of us, whether you're seven or 70. But you cannot operate in spiritual authority if you're living spiritual in spiritual passivity. And so spiritual passivity is a huge barrier to prayer in our homes. In the book of the Revelation, we see Jesus rebuking the church of Laodicea. He says, I know all the things you do. You're not hot. You're not cold. I wish that you were either hot or cold. But since you're not one or the other, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Friends, you, you do not want to be spit out of the mouth of Jesus. So Jesus rebukes them because they were not concerned with the things of God. They had become concerned with their own comfort. And this reminds me a lot of the church in the U.S. today. We can become so concerned 
with our comfort and keeping things status quo. I told the leadership last night here, you can program yourself straight to hell. And so we got a lot of churches doing good programs, but there's no spirit. And so the, the, the church at Laodicea had, had become very comfortable. They had become passive in their attitude towards spiritual realities. They weren't hot. They weren't cold. They were just bleh. No good. And so Jesus says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. The reality is, friends, we don't need more spectators in the church today. We need more participators. And we need families who will get on board with this and say, we're going to be hot for Christ. We're not going to be passive anymore. We're going to take our spiritual authority. And when something's happening, when my child's having a nightmare, I'm going to take my authority. In the name of Jesus, I command this to go. I lose the peace of God over my child right now. Sickness is invading our, our, the, the front door of our home. In the name of Jesus, I declare the health and wholeness of God. I lose from heaven the peace of Christ over my home. Satan, you cannot have my children. You cannot touch them. I declare that all things are in subjection to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Satan, you are in subjection to the feet of Christ. I command you to go now. And on and on and on where we learn to begin to take our authority under Christ. Stop living passive. Start living active. When it becomes easier to come home and turn on the TV and Netflix and chill rather than engage with the people who are closest to you, my friends, something is terribly wrong. When it becomes easier to create a spiritual formation plan for everybody else and not your own family, friends, something is terribly wrong. I meet pastors all over the world who, who do a good job at leading their churches and have a five-year vision for their church and a, a plan for their church to grow and thrive and spiritual formation process, and they have zero plan for spiritual growth in their own home. And I'm here to tell you that's not God's best. The fourth common barrier to prayer in our homes is pride. Pride. This one cuts deep. It cuts deep probably for most men in the room. Pride. It's the thought that, that our, our spouses, we, we often feel our spouses have nothing spiritually to provide us or give us or add value. We, we might, as parents, have pride and and, and, and maybe an underlying belief that we are to lead uh, our homes and, and our children have nothing of value. They're, they're just there to listen and, and, and to hear and learn, but never to speak. They don't have anything valuable to provide us spiritually in the home. That's pride. It's pride. I, I hear God through my children. They've said things to me that are like lightning bolts. Shown me unconditional love that I don't deserve. 
Nothing has made me come face to face more with my depravity than being a father and being a husband. And, and so we, it's time to get rid of, of pride. Understand that God wants to use our children and our spouses to lead us to deeper intimacy with God. You see, the Holy Spirit is no respecter of gender. The Holy Spirit is no respecter of age. There is no junior Holy Spirit. There is only one Holy Spirit. And the same Holy Spirit in me is the same Holy Spirit in my seven-year-old daughter. And I can learn from her. I can hear from God from her. Anyone out there? I want to speak to specifically to men on this matter. It says in 1 Peter 3, 7, In the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is, listen, she is your equal partner in this gift of life. Uh-oh. She is your equal partner in this gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, I'm going to come back to that part in a minute. But just everybody say with me right now. Just say equal partner. Equal partner. She is your equal partner in this gift of new life. And if that is not happening, I didn't write this. Take it up. With, with God, take it up with the Holy Spirit. Don't take it up with Pastor Mitchell. This is something God said. So that if there's any ounce of pride, it's time for it to go. In the name of Jesus. You cannot build a house of prayer if there's pride. Husbands, I want to tell you, your wife can be your greatest intercessor. Your greatest prayer partner. Wives, your husband can be your greatest prayer partner if, if you'll let him. This is what God designed marriage for. To be an example of his bride. To be an example of his relationship with the church. And what does he desire with the church? He desires intimacy on a spiritual level. Far deeper than sexual intimacy. God wants to put spiritual intimacy in your home. A few years ago, God rocked my world in this. I, I was praying one morning. It was about two years ago. I was praying one morning, and I was sitting there with my journal, the, the Word, and, and I was just praying, and I said something uh, to the Lord that I had never prayed before. I said, Jesus, what do you want to say to me about my wife? See, prayer is just talking. We we overcomplicate this thing, right? I'm just asking God questions and he's answering and I'm telling him things that, that are happening that, that I need him to intervene on and I'm asking, what's your will? What's your purpose for today? And so I just ask, Lord, what do you want to say to me about my wife? You know what he said to me? He said, she has influence in heaven. I fell to my knees. I began to weep because this incredible conviction of pride came over me that I had not valued her influence in heaven. 
I had not valued her partnership as an intercessor. And the father said, your wife has influence in heaven. Every now and then when she's feeling discouraged or something, I'll just write that on a piece of paper and leave that for her somewhere. You've got influence in heaven. So now that we've talked about some of the common barriers of praying in our homes, I want to talk to us about some of the the great benefits of opening the door to Christ in our homes, of, of building a house of prayer. And just like we talked about four common barriers to prayer, I want to talk about four incredible benefits to opening the door to Christ. Now just follow me here because these benefits of praying together far outweigh any uncomfortableness you may experience as you begin to build a house of prayer. Because I I want to be honest with you and I want to help just, just make you feel okay about some things. When you begin to build a house of prayer, if you've never done this, if you've never prayed with your children, if you've never prayed with your spouse, if you've never prayed with brothers or sisters or, or, or nephews or aunts and uncles, whoever it is in, in your family, grandparents with grandchildren, if you've never done that, it can be incredibly uncomfortable at first. So I want to acknowledge that and I want to help you feel comfortable because God is comfortable in your uncomfortableness. Some of y'all get that later. But God's comfortable even when you're uncomfortable. And so we want to work past the uncomfortableness. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be perfect to start this. So be free from all of that. Be free from the shame and failures of your past. That's not God bringing those things up. That's Satan accusing you. Some of us spend way more time listening to the accuser's voice than we do to the father's voice. God sees you from your future, not from your past. He's calling you up. As Paul says, it's the upward call of God. So he's inviting you to build this house of prayer. And so you don't need to worry about what did or didn't happen yesterday. Let's look towards what God has for us in the future, coming today, tomorrow, and the next day. Because there's incredible benefits for those who will build this house of prayer. The first is you will experience the power of agreement. You'll experience the power of agreement. I love this. In Matthew 18, Jesus says, again, I tell you, if, that, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it might be done by my Father in heaven. Is that, is that in anyone's translation? No, 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 no. If any of you agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am in the middle. Now, I'm going to break some rules. I'm just, I'm sorry. I got to, I got to. You see, what that's really saying is when you come together in my name, it actually says I'm right in the middle. I'm right there with you. If two or three of you, just two people, if you'll come together, this is the beauty of marriage. You've already got two. And if two of you will come together and agree on anything in my name, I will be there. 
That's not theoretical presence. That's not theological presence. That's not omnipresence or God's everywhere presence. That is the promise of his manifest presence. His tangible, real, life-giving, sin-exposing, pride-crushing, Satan-evicting presence. And that's the promise you have of a God who hasn't left you alone and a God who power, who promises the power of agreement. Hallelujah. Can that get one hallelujah in the house of God today? I'm used to amening and, and people talking back. I know we're Southern Baptists here, but come on, friends. That ought to do something in you that God has promised you for your home, if you'll just gather in my name, I will be right there in the middle. So we have this incredible promise of the power of agreement and a quick way to secure answers to a, a host of prayers is to pray in agreement. My friends, I don't need a lot of people to agree with me. I just need the right people to agree with me. I remember when God was working on me in some of this years ago, my wife's a school teacher. She's an incredible, incredible school teacher. Um, she was highly recognized when we lived in Birmingham, just uh, teacher of the year, and, and, and she's just very good at what she does. And I remember uh, years ago when, when she was uh, starting uh, teaching kindergarten, and she had been at this school for a couple years, and she was just dreading, the, any teachers in here? And he took a few, she was just dreading the start of the, but another school year, and that's without COVID. And, and so, uh, you know, she was talking to me about the week of free planning. Oh, I just, I know it's going to be chaos again. It's just never good. There was a lot of just leadership issues in the, in the school and all this. And so, so she's there and, and she's dreading. And I say, you know what? Let's go to the school and let's pray. Let's just pray. Let's agree together and, and pray that God will do something different this year. And so by faith, we went up to our school and we began to, to pray in the classroom and, and pray in the hall and, and just begin to ask God, God, do something different this year. And we agreed together. We were agreeing for the same thing, calling on the Prince of Peace to come, to manifest himself in that building, in that place. So after the first day of school started, the kids came back. I was real excited for her to get home because I'm just thinking she's going to tell me all these miracles that happened. And so she comes home. And I said, how was it? She was like, oh, it was good. It's good? Yeah. It's like, what? That's it? She's like, well, yeah, I mean, my kids did great. I was like, what? I mean, what about the rest of school? She said, I don't, I don't really know. I didn't hear anything. And, you know, I just was kind of in my own bubble. And I said, well, that's a letdown. So I said, Lord, well, I, I got to know. I, I want to hear. We want to hear. We, we prayed the next day. And, and then by Friday, they started on a Wednesday. By Friday, she, she comes home excitedly, busting through the door. She has this letter in her hand. She says, read this, read this. She said, and, and it was a letter from the principal put in every teacher's mailbox at the school. And it literally said, I want to congratulate you. We've had the best beginning to a school year we've ever had. No issues, no problems. It was the most peaceful beginning we've ever experienced. See, I don't need a lot of people to agree with, but I do need the right people to agree with. And there is power in agreement. The second benefit of praying together that we have is that we begin to experience the power of blessing God is a God of blessing. We see that theme run through the entire scripture 
Let me give you a simple definition of what blessing means. Bless, it means to empower for success. To empower for success. When we bless somebody, we communicate blessing three ways. Through our, what we say, through what, how we look, and through our touch. Those are the three primary ways we communicate blessing. See, I can look at you right now. I'm going to just, you don't feel very blessed, do you? Even, my, even the way I look at you can communicate. If I look at you and I'm like, hey, man, you, there's something that the scripture actually talks about this in numbers. I wish, Scott, I want to come back and preach just on the power of blessing. Can I do that sometime? Because it's incredible. It's incredible, the power of blessing. In numbers, it actually equates blessing with life. You see, if I look at you and I give you one of those, or if I come to you and I say, man, you nailed it. With, I haven't heard an orchestra in a while. Not just because of COVID-19. I just haven't been in the right environments, I guess. But I'm telling you, man, they nailed it. You're, a, you're awesome. There's something that comes to life in you. And so when we bless our, our spouse, when we bless our children, there's something that comes to life in them. We got too many people living under curses. I pray for people all the time, and God, the Holy Spirit just shows me they're living under this curse, they're living under this curse. We begin to break those off, and it's like a watershed moment. Too many of us living under curses, so we begin to experience the power of blessing we can bless our spouse, we can bless our children, we can bless our siblings, our parents. We can be like Paul who said in Romans 15, 29, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. That's what I prayed when I came to Hattiesburg. I don't want to come in a partial measure. You see, if there's a full measure, there's a partial measure, Pastor. I don't want the partial measure. I don't want a third. I want it all. And I want to come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ to Hardy Street Baptist Church. I want to come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ when I get home tonight. Even though I'm going to be tired. I can't give them my leftovers. That makes them bitter at ministry. The power of blessing. Third, you will begin to experience new power in your own prayer life. I read this verse earlier. I'm coming back to it. 1 Peter 3, 7, Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life. Now listen to this. Listen to this. Listen to this. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Whoa. Whoa. You mean the way I treat my wife Affects my prayer life? Uh-oh. Let me tell you something. Hear this, please. Married couples, write this down. Post it where you got to post it. The quality of your prayer life is affected by the quality of your marriage. Man, when God got a hold of me on this. There's times now I'm, I don't, I'm not getting answers to prayers. And the first thing I do is, oh, how am I treating Karen? How am I treating my wife? This is the first thing I run to. If I'm not getting answers, this is one of my checks. Like, how's this? What's this like? Then is, is there sin? Am I treating her with love and respect? Or am I not valuing her as an equal partner? And almost always, 
I need you to go repent of this to her. I need you to go ask her forgiveness for this. The quality of your prayer life will be affected by the quality of your marriage. Why? Because when we begin to pray with our spouse, we come under godly authority and alignment. When we begin to pray as families, when we build this house of prayer, we come under godly authority and alignment. Fourth and last, benefit of building a house of prayer. We will begin to set an example, a powerful example for our children and others. Paul said in Ephesians 6, 4, do not anger your children, but raise them in the discipline, the discipline and the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the disciplines of the faith that we need to disciple our children in and that they need to see is the discipline of prayer. It is part of our spiritual growth and our kids today are are lacking examples. Pastor Bill Gothard said something years ago that just hit me. He, he said, if our children do not see God dramatically answer specific prayers in our homes, we will lose them to Satan. I want my girls to see God answer prayer. Audrey, just a, about a, I don't know, six, seven months ago, we were just laying in bed one night and, and we were praying, we had read and, and we were praying. And, and I think that night I had read something about hearing God or maybe I'd mentioned something about something I heard from God that day. And she just looks over at me and, and she says, can I hear God? Can I hear, you know, she's seven. Can I hear God? I said, well, yeah, yeah, baby, you can hear God for sure. And she said, well, can I hear him right now? So I'm stepping out, oh God, you better show up right now. You better do something. So I said, absolutely, baby, you can hear God right now. You want to hear from him? Yeah, I want to hear from God. I said, okay, well, let's just pray. I said, Lord, we want to hear from you. Open our ears right now. We want to hear from you. And we just laid there. I had my eyes open. She she had her eyes closed. I was just watching her. After about two minutes, I'm I'm just kind of sweating. Lord, you better come on now. Don't leave a brother hanging up here. And so, so all of a sudden, I see this huge smile come across her face. And I just said, what, baby, what, what, what's happening? And she said, God just spoke to me. I said, well, what, what did he say? She said, he, he, he said, Audrey, I love you, and I think you're so beautiful. Now, that might not sound profound to you. If you have the faith of a child, it will. Because it's often the little things like that that God speaks and if we are creating a house of prayer, it's a, it's a house where our children learn to hear the voice of God. The small things. I love you. I'm proud of you. I think you're beautiful. You see, when they begin to hear that voice, those things, the love of the Father, it's in those moments that the volume of the world gets turned down. And that's what creating a house of prayer is all about. You want to hear the voice of God? Turn down the volume of the world. 
creating an environment where we can hear and talk and see a move of God. Let's stand together. I want to make a promise to you. I want to make a promise that if you will begin to walk down this path, if you'll take the the weeks to come in this incredible spiritual formation process that's been laid out at Hardy Street, if you, will, if you will follow this, if you'll follow the 752 plan that Scott's going to introduce to you, and, and if you'll take steps, even though they might be uncomfortable, I want to promise to you, if you will take those steps, God will respond. And he will help you build a house of prayer. You can't do it in your flesh. You cannot do it in your flesh. Scripture says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. If you will take steps to move your family towards the presence of God, he will draw near to you. I want you to believe that with everything in your being. I really do. I want you to believe it for the sake of your, 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 your spouses. I want you to believe it for the sake of your, your siblings. I want you to believe it for the sake of your children. And I want you, what I want you to understand is what, please, hear me, please, church. What you do, the work you do today, what you do now, and your desire to build a house of prayer isn't just for now. It will change the destiny of your families. It will change the generations. That's why I say it doesn't matter if you're 70 or 70. Grandparents, you've got a role to play. Father, help us. Help us, Father. We want to build a house of prayer. We know and we say to you right now, we can't do it in our flesh. We don't even see all the ways that you want to unfold this, but we trust you. We trust you. We put our faith in you, the one who said my house will be a house of prayer. And we trust you to build your house of prayer. And today, we open the door to Jesus. Jesus, we hear you knocking. We hear you saying, open the door. I'll come in and eat with you. You'll eat with me. We invite you to fellowship at our table. We invite you to come and to rule and reign over our houses, our homes, no matter what they look like or what seasons they're in. Come. Come, Jesus. Come, Jesus.